Welcome to the FDIP, the official podcast of the Faculty Development and Innovation Center at Eastern Illinois University. I am FDIC Director Dr. Michael Gillespie, and today we have with us our inaugural FDIC Fellow, Dr. Lori DeRuder-Willems, who is a assistant professor, soon to be associate professor, right, yes. in the uh, Department of Public Health and Nutrition. Um, yes, so I am Lori, uh, commonly known as Dr. LDW, I guess I would say I get with a long name. <laughs> um, yes, I was uh, granted tenure in the uh, spring, so I'll move up the ranks in the fall, which I'm super excited about proud accomplishment. Um, I will be also starting in the fall, my 18th year of teaching here at EIU. Um, I started kind of as a bucket list item, decided I liked it, and the department seemed to like me. I finished my PhD in 2018 um, after a 20-some year break in my educational path, and um, I've loved every minute of being here. Um, Jumping right into this fellowship, I've loved uh, FDIC, everything it has had to offer all, all of us as faculty members for many years. And um, I found that we had some very common interests, which is why I've been involved with FDIC yeah. um, a lot of the 18 years yeah. so far. And you have a family history too, right? Yes, yes. My father was actually one of the FDIC uh directors way back in the day. So it was pretty cool when I started getting involved here and realized that we had that connection. Yeah. So it was fun. Yeah. That's he great. felt strongly about yeah. faculty development and support, and uh, I think that that uh, uh, philosophy has continued yeah. to this day. Yeah, well, we're happy to have you. We're so grateful that you uh, put your proposal in for the fellowship, and uh, you got obviously awarded it, mm-hmm. and um, so uh, I couldn't have asked for a better project for our inaugural fellowship. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your projects, uh, the fellowship in general, and kind of catch us up with what you've been doing. Sure. So the idea of OER, I kind of fell into it, I would say maybe through the back door, that as I was um, uh, preparing for several classes, I realized that um, one class in particular, I did not have a textbook for, and we could not find a textbook that fit it. Uh, appropriately. It would cover part of the content, but not all of it. So we decided not to adopt a textbook for that course. Um, I used industry materials. I would look at professional websites, uh, organizations that we were, uh, we had memberships for or with, and um, just looked at different articles, um, you know, in the world of public health, the CDC, National Institutes of Health, um, World Health Organizations, um, many not-for-profit organizations uh, published and, and shared information. Um, I kind of found out later that that is what part of OER is. Mm-hmm. Um, when I realized that this um, technique, I guess we could call it, or system, um, was beneficial for the students because they saw how it connected what we were teaching them in the classroom with what they'll be doing in the real world. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where I started. Um Stacy Knight Davis, librarian here in Booth Library, was very instrumental in helping me uh, coordinate and keep it organized. Early on, she would uh, create modules in D2L, not only for me, but other um, faculty members mm-hmm. in our department. And that's where this all kind of kicked off. All right. So so two, two things. Um, you teach in public health, mm-hmm. right? So obviously we've learned over the past several years just how important up-to-date information is. Absolutely. Uh, and how quickly it changes uh, in public health. So that would make it uh, an, an important 
tool for the classes that you teach uh, and your work. Um, but also maybe um, we could back up just a second and you could tell us what are OER? OER is Open Educational Resources. And there's many varieties of OER. It could be um, publishing companies. Uh, it could come from uh, individuals, educators who create their own information and share it. Mm-hmm. It could be videos, podcasts, a variety of things like that. Um, diagrams, uh, different components of web pages, different organizations and things like that. Mm-hmm. And there's different levels of OER also. Some are um, can be freely adopted, adapted, changed mm-hmm. to fit your specific needs. And others have um, more, I guess we could call it restrictions or guidelines um, with how they can be used. Mm-hmm. So how did your students respond to having these materials instead of a textbook? That is, um, it's very interesting. At the beginning, I would uh, either download something or maybe make a PDF of an article and have them read uh, read the article or watch the video or whatever it was, um, do discussions in D2L. Mm-hmm. And um, it, could, it took a little while for them to get used to. They kept saying, mm-hmm. why don't we have a book? Yeah. Well, and I kept telling them, like, this is this is something that's happened a year ago. Um, sometimes it was something I would just find the day before or after a class. Sometimes I'd come back to class the next week and say, remember we were talking about, um, you know, teens and vaping last week. Well, this is a new study on that. Mm-hmm. Um, this last year, there was a, um, there been a couple of reports recently about um, how rates of depression and mental health issues are, and we all know that that's, that's a common thing. Yeah. But there was a big study uh, in the spring, and it's just been re-released by a different organization this summer. That was a great example of me being able to share that information with the students on the spot. So there they could see that this isn't just something we're talking about in the classroom. Right. This is happening in real time, real life. Right. And the benefit of this for an uh, uh, institution like Eastern, where students don't buy textbooks, you know, I th- a lot of the arguments to use OER are that it will save students money. Correct. Right. But here, um, I think there's a, a different argument to use OER, right? Yes. And, and so what is that? The argument is that the textbooks can be great, yeah. um, but they become dated quickly, regardless yes. of the, uh, the discipline. And um, using even if it's supplemental to a textbook, we can talk about something in a classroom about whatever topic it could be. It could be macroeconomics, which I know nothing about. My friends do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But if they pull information from their uh, trade journal, The the Economist, um, they're saying real-time information. Um, One of the first times I remember closely following a health trend was Ebola. Okay, yeah. It happened. It came out right before the beginning of a fall semester several years ago. And the students are like, what is this? What is this? And I said, mm-hmm. well, check it out and bring it in. Right. Um, which kind of long, launched a, um, an activity I do in several classes that I call health news. And I can d- tell them usually anything relates to health. Yeah. So bring in any news article that you can connect to health and we'll talk about it. Yeah. And that kind of also serves as a uh, launching point for conversation about our course content. Right. So it's almost, it's kind of student-driven uh, OER, yeah. um, but not as curated and as carefully curated as what I will share that's directly related to the content right. of the course. Yeah. So through the fellowship, you had the opportunity to, to do some research mm-hmm. uh, and do some reading. You want to talk a little bit about some of the things that were maybe a surprise to you or that you found out about OER when you started your project? One, I think the most surprising thing um, 
was the prevalence of how most articles and information promoting OER was so focused on saving students money on textbook fees, which is really important, but it's not as important to us here. Um, it is in some in some ways because I could have adopted a textbook for a couple of courses, right. which would have cost the university more money. Of course, um, but we didn't really need them, mm-hmm. so it's a, a savings to the university. But um, really, it was the 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 lack of how current real world information was available that mm-hmm. I was surprised to find that mm-hmm. um, through the research. One of the most uh, one of the articles that I I found when I was preparing for my proposal was about an econ class mm-hmm. um, that used the economists that I mentioned earlier yeah. as their main textbook for the course. Their department um, uh, had a subscription that was available to all the students. And while they had common content through every semester, the talking points and the discussions were based on new articles mm-hmm. that were in this journal. Right. Yeah, I think that I think that that's a great point, and I think it's important because I teach a statistics class mm-hmm. uh, in to sociology and criminology students who, much to my chagrin, are not going to go on and be statisticians, <laughs> right? Um, but they're all going into fields where having up to date research and data are going to be part of their everyday work, whether they're going to be social workers or police officers or lawyers, and so bringing those things in right. um, is really going to be showing them the tools that they're going to be using when they get on into the workforce and they're doing their thing. And I think that this was one of the big aha moments for me in all of our conversations that we've had this past semester is having OER and even just curating um, just simple trade journal articles and things that, that are out there that they're going to see can make such a huge impact in how they translate what we're trying to teach them into how they're going to use that once they walk out the door. Exactly. And sometimes, you know, using, there, there's a video I use in one of my classes that I think was produced in the 80s, mm-hmm. 1980s. Um, it's dated. You know, you can tell by the clothing, the hairstyles and all of that in the video, but the content is good. It actually Mm -hmm. talks about finding uh, how the polio vaccine was developed. And all through the past three years of the pandemic, I've had students say, remember that polio video? Yeah. It's kind of really, it kind of relates to what's happening now. And I was like, yeah. So historical perspective, perspective, excuse me, Mm -hmm. is very important. Um, But we know, as you mentioned in the beginning, you know, with the COVID, information changed so rapidly. There were common themes through the entire time. There's a need for more more current information. Yeah. And that's where OER can really step in and fill that need. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so we set sort of the, the, the idea that this is a good thing, mm-hmm. right? So uh, part of your project then became, you know, we did a survey of the faculty, right? We did, yes. So you want to talk a little bit about the survey and some of the results that you found? Sure. As we um, got into this and had our conversation, I thought, you know, it's all well and good for us to make this information available to other faculty and how to create OD- OER. Um, Steve Brantley has a great uh, LibGuide on what OER is, um, but we wanted to take that one step further so faculty could r- understand what OER is through his information, mm-hmm. but then for us to give some practical tips and suggestions on how to create their own, yeah. hopefully in co- collaboration with their, their subject matter librarian. Yeah. But what came, occurred to us that we needed to know where our faculty were right. in order to move forward in the best way. 
Um, so we did the survey. Um, we didn't have as high results as we wanted mm-hmm. uh, survey responses, but there were a number of factors in the spring that contributed to that. Yeah. Um, but what we did find is that 70% of those who responded said they had never created their own OER, mm-hmm. which was kind of an aha moment. Like here isn't a good opportunity, right. which was confirmed by the fact that 71% said that they would consider creating their own OER. Oh, their own OER, <laughs> um, if they had the proper tools and time. Yeah. So that was kind of where we thought we should focus right. on how to create it, what tools do you need, who do you need to collaborate with, right. and how to do it in a timely manner. Yeah. Um, other things we found the top benefits in the in for using OER mm-hmm. were that um, it would provide additional context to textbook material. Of course. Um, it would keep the course content up to date mm-hmm. and current and that it added some level of experiential learning right. to the courses that they were teaching. Mm-hmm. Again, that connection right. that kind of goes back to the old, um, the original, one of the original educational philosophers, John Dewey. Yeah. Right. You, know, you make that connection, make That's it right. real and they, they get it. Right. It takes off. So good. So yeah, mm-hmm. so we didn't, we didn't have, um, you know, high response rate, but what we did get was very insightful. Uh, and as you said, sort of guided the rest of your project. Sure. So do you want to now talk a, a little bit about um, sort of what you're doing and uh, and creating? And then we can talk about where this is going to take us in the sure. future. Well, I thought it would be best to organize my um uh, chaotic <laughs> attempts at OER. So um, I'm working on, uh, again, with Stacey Knight Davis. She's the librarian assigned to um, many of the health-related uh, uh, departments. Yeah. Um, we're creating a libguide specifically for one of my courses, which is now called Foundations in Health Literacy. Great. So that's been through an evolution of its own. And um, within that, um, well, part of the reason, another reason originally that I wanted to do this was that I'm the only person that teaches that class right mm-hmm. now. And um, I love the idea of other other faculty members being able to teach a class. It's not my class. Sure. I'm just the only one teaching it. Right. So um, by having something more organized for someone else to be able to access and add to, right. that's really going to be beneficial. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so this libguide that I'm creating specifically for the Foundation's Health Literacy class is um, – Looking at the content I'm already using, we don't have a textbook for the mm-hmm. course. Um, there are some um, training manuals that are available through OER sources, through professional organizations that, and government agencies uh, that offer these at free will. Right. Um, and uh, so we're organizing those into this LibGuide. Great. Um, then what I'd like to do also is to take that structure of the Health Literacy LibGuide and make it generic so that others can use that format to start creating their own. Right. Um, This will be a much more organized way, um, maybe overcome some of the challenges that I've had with the content um, that I use in my courses. Yeah. um, And then make it available to other people to use. Right. Um, We also uh, found a book that we like a lot. Yes, we did. It's called Best Practices in Designing Courses with Open Educational Resources. It's on Rutledge, and it's part of their Best Practices in Online Teaching and Learning series. But certainly OER do not need to be just for online Definitely classes. Definitely not. Yeah. No, it's not, it's, it's not exclusively for online. Um, I use it. I, some forms of OER in every class that I teach, whether it's an in-person hybrid or online, mm-hmm. at all levels. Yeah. Um, I just find that uh, a little bit extra from whatever a textbook might have is just makes that more 
uh, the information more meaningful to right. the students. Right. Um, and then it can, we can expand on different concepts yeah. through any level. But the, the book is really, um, it's a quick read. Yeah, it's short. Um, it's 140 it, pages. Yeah, with the long index at the end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's, I think, 10 chapters. Mm-hmm. Each one has uh, some unique information in it. Um, there's one on supporting and planning. OER uh, talks a lot about collaboration. Mm-hmm. And I'll give a plug again for whoever your uh, booth librarian is assigned yeah. to your department or your discipline. Um, stay in touch with them. Yeah, um, We have high praise for Stacey Knight Davis in our department. Um, she comes to us often with, hey, I found this. What mm-hmm. do you think about doing it? Mm-hmm. Adding this somewhere in your in your you know, any of your courses, sharing it with your students. Um, we go to her. Uh, I know that our uh, nutrition side of our department has several projects and courses that they have specific assignments mm-hmm. that they work really closely with her. Yeah. So it's important to do that collaboration. But yeah. back to the book, yeah. um, the fellowship came with a stipend uh, to be used for resources. Yeah. So we were able to purchase several copies of this book that yeah. Michael has stashed away in his office. I do. Yeah. He'd much rather have it in other people's hands. That's right. So in the fall, we're yes. going to do a workshop, right? Right, yeah. right. One of the other things we found in the survey was that um, those who had not yet created um, any OER, we asked, how would, how would you like to do this? Um, the majority of responses said some informational or hands-on mm-hmm. workshops uh, or tutorials would be useful. Yeah. So um, we're listening, and hopefully yeah. uh, we'll be able to work this out, and we don't have a date yet. Not yet. But um, we have a structure which will follow the book. Mm-hmm. So yeah. talk about kind of how you start thinking about OER. We'll have a brainstorming session within this workshop where mm-hmm. you can dig into your professional organizations and see what's available and um, start creating your own. So we're going to take this idea of what Lori has created with her own LibGuide, which is an OER, mm-hmm. uh, and the structure, uh, and uh, put it in the hands of interested faculty uh, in the fall. And you can uh, just um, keep up to date with our newsletter and our website, and the, the announcement on, on that sort of thing will be coming out uh, as we get closer to the new academic year. But if you're interested uh, in being a part of this group, uh, you get a copy of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the 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 we limited in numbers because it will be a, a hands-on uh, ongoing group that's going to be doing this and be able to get some some good feedback and use the resources uh, here in the FDIC and what uh, Lori has has created and provided the scaffolding for. So we're really excited about this. Uh, like she said, we're listening and uh, OERs are the future. I mean, it's here and now, but we're really promoting this and looking at how we can make this a, a better part about how we we develop. Uh, some more innovative ways in teaching and learning here at Eastern. Absolutely. I think we all should um, look at OER as not one more thing we have to do, but something that's going to enhance our classes. And um, we're probably reading information anyway in our own disciplines, and there shouldn't be any reason we can't share share that with our students who are probably going into our fields. That's right. Uh, any anything else that you want to share with us, Lori, uh, before we wrap this up? One final plug here through FDIC, um, uh, Julie Lockett has created online 
uh, learning materials, OCDI, for mm-hmm. those of us who are teaching online. Yeah. There's great resources in there. And even if you have completed OCDI, yeah. she has OCDR That's that right. has resources. And a section in, in the instructional materials talks about, of course, this is focused on online courses, but it applies to everything. Yeah. Um, one section talks about instructional materials yeah. and a little bit more on OER. That's right. Um, the worksheets in that are really a nice tool to plan, mm-hmm. and I have a feeling we'll be incorporating that into our workshop in the yeah. fall. Yeah, I have a feeling about that too. <laughs> so um, we will put links, uh, of course, to all the things that we mentioned here uh, within the notes of the podcast, so you get a take a chance to, to look at Lori's LibGuide. Uh, once that's done, we'll put some links to the materials for the OCDR, which is the Online Course Development Resources. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the, also a book chapter that Lori and Stacy Knight Davis wrote uh, a few years ago uh, that really sparked some of the interest in uh, where we are at now. Absolutely. So, yeah. That was uh, really a kind of a culmination of the work we, Stacy and I had done where we um, were developing this non-textbook material, yeah. shared that within a, um, a book on OER mm-hmm. several years ago. It's um, sped up quickly since then, <laughs> so there's a need to stay on top yeah. of it even more so. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks, Lori. I appreciate you joining us on the FDIP uh, today, and uh, I can't wait to see uh, where this goes in the fall with with uh, our interested faculty. Well, thanks for having me, and I look forward to sharing this information more widely, too. You have been listening to the FDIP, the official podcast of the Faculty Development and Innovation Center at Eastern Illinois University. I've been your host, Dr. Michael Gillespie, the director of the FDIC. And until next time, please take care of yourself.